you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to open them with me to the book of Haggai. Haggai, chapter 1. We're walking on Sunday mornings through the Minor Prophets, and we've come a good ways so far. We started out about nine weeks ago with Hosea. Hosea told us that God's love is foolishly radical. His love is so great for us. Joel taught us that God speaks to us through our circumstances. Amos then told us that we need to take care of the nobodies in this world because we too are nobodies. Obadiah told us that we get out of life what we put into it. We get out of church what we put into it. And when we walked on a Sunday morning with Jonah, that fishy-smelling prophet, he told us that prejudice has no place among the people of God. Micah told us that God wants us to be like Him. Nahum told us that God is patient, but only up to a point. Habakkuk told us that when things appear to go from bad to worse, God still has a plan and we can trust Him. And Zephaniah told us about how God gives us hope during a time of misery. And that brings us to Haggai. After Haggai... We only have two more. Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is asking some people, what are you waiting for? I think that's what he's asking us today too. Haggai chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedak, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have you your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I call for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, 
declares the Lord. It seems that the more time passes, the more people remain the same. It seems that when you go back 2,600 years, which is where you'll find Haggai, there was a problem with the people. The people were busy about their lives, but they weren't busy about doing what God wanted to do in their lives. God was put on a back burner. In 586 B.C., All you had was the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel had long been destroyed, taken away into Assyria, and it was gone never to return, leaving only the the southern kingdom of Judah. The capital of Judah was Jerusalem. And the people of Jerusalem did not believe that God would ever allow their city and their nation to be destroyed because the temple was in Jerusalem. And so it came as a shocking surprise when in 586 B.C., the Babylonians, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, came down into Jerusalem and surrounded the city for two years, not allowing any foodstuff to go in and not allowing anybody to go out. And at the end of that two years, he decided to go on into Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple. He leveled the walls that surrounded the city. And he took hundreds of thousands of people away into Babylon as captives. He left behind some of the poorest people. But their city was gone, their nation was gone, and that happened in 586 B.C. Time passed by. They went into the 570s, and into the 560s, and then into the 550s, and finally, in 539 B.C., 47 years later, the Babylonians are overrun by the Persians under King Cyrus. And Cyrus, the Persian king, looked and, he, and, and where what used to be Babylon is now Persia. And he looks and he sees these people of Judah still there. They've been held captive for 47 years. And so he decides it's time to let these people go home. And so he said, look, you folks... Everybody who wants to, get your bags up, pack your bags, get everything, that all your belongings. I'm going to let you go home. Well, about 40,000 of them decided to return home. The biggest majority of them stayed in Persia, former Babylon, because they liked it there. But about 40,000 of them came home, and they came home, and they started rebuilding the temple. Their leader was a fellow by the name of Zerubbabel. Now, we don't hear a lot about Zerubbabel because he didn't write anything. He wasn't as prominent as uh, a King David or a King Solomon or an Abraham, the father of the nation, or a Moses, the giver of the law. But Zerubbabel is an important figure because under his leadership, the people of Judah come back to Jerusalem and they start building the temple in 538 B.C. But they get sidetracked. And after they have laid the foundation for the temple, started the building program, they stopped building. And time rocked on. In fact, 18 years rocked on with nothing but the foundation of the building there. And God is getting impatient 
with his people. And he sends two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, we'll look at Zechariah next week, sends two prophets to them who basically preach the same message. What are you waiting for? You're busy doing everything else but what the Lord wants done. It was an issue of priorities. It was an issue of not giving God the priority that He deserves in each of our lives. Now, there are three parts to this message this morning that I want you to notice. The first one, the first part is this. There is a prevalent refrain, a prevalent refrain. Now, a refrain is something that's repeated over and over again. There is a prevalent refrain. And although you won't find it worded this way in the text, here basically is what it is. Later, God. Now, be careful there. I'm not using that in the common hip way of using. Sometimes whenever you're with friends for a while and then it's time to leave friends, you go, okay, later, Matt, later, Matt, you know, and you're talking about, see you later. But that's not what these people were saying. That wasn't the prevalent refrain of the people of Judah. Their refrain was, was literally, God, I know there's some things you want us to do. God, I know you want to be first in our lives. God, I know that you want to be on the front burner of our community. But we'll do that later, God. There will come a time later when I will put you first. There will come a time later when I will get fired up about you. There will come a time later when I will become passionate about you. But not now. Later. And there were some reasons why uh, these people were saying later to God. Literally, Haggai says that they were saying it is no time to consider building the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. And there were three reasons why they were saying later, Lord. For some of them, they were saying later, Lord, because it was a difficult time. The economy was bad. They'd been 50 years with the walls in rubble and the temple destroyed, just, just the, the, the wasted devastation of what used to be that glorious temple of Solomon was remaining there in boulders. The people who had been left, they were too poor to make a living. The land had been left without being cultivated, without being harvested. And so it, was, it just looked like a desert. Things were not good. Everything, the people were in bad shape. The land was in bad shape. The, um, uh, the, the buildings were in bad shape. The economy was in bad shape. On top of that, they had people surrounding Judah, the Samaritans and some others, who were constantly opposing anything they did. The times were not good. Boy, we hear that today. I'll get serious with God when the times get better. I'll get serious with God when the economy is better. I'll get serious with God when my education is through or whenever my, my, my wages get up or when things get better. I'll get serious with God. Let me tell you something, folks. If you and I waited until all the circumstances were favorable before we put God first, we would never put God first. 
We have to decide to put God first. And you can find this throughout the scripture. We have to decide to put God first regardless of the circumstances. In fact, the, the, the harder the circumstances, the more important it is that we put God first. But some of them said later, God, because it was a difficult time. Some of them said later, God, because other matters were not other matters were more important. Verse four. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? You see, the people were putting a priority on their own houses. They were saying basically this. We have homes to build. We have children to educate. We have business to businesses to establish. We have things around the home fires that we need to protect and we need to build up. And granted, those are legitimate concerns. In fact, I I will tell you that that there there are times when when we need to put our families ahead of certain church activities. But I'll tell you where we've gotten to in in our in our day. We pretty much excuse that so we can put uh, we can put other things we want to do ahead of anything that has to do with church. And you know what we're raising our kids to, to believe? That God and church are no longer important. They're important if you don't have anything else to do. If you don't have anywhere else to go on Sunday morning or something, uh, if you don't have anywhere else to go on a Tuesday night study or a Wednesday night discipleship group or a prayer meeting, as long as, as, long as you have nowhere else to go, then come on to church. But if you've got anywhere else to go, you don't have to go because it's not important anymore. Other things are more important. Later, God, I'll do it later. Right now, I've got things that are more important. You better be careful what you're teaching your children and grandchildren. Some people said later, Lord, because the people were just plain satisfied with the way things were. There were people who had had been in captivity so long that they decided to stay there. Thank you for allowing us to go home, Cyrus, but thank you, but no thank you. We're we're just going to stay here in Persia. Things are better here. Or the people who were, who were still left in Jerusalem and had been living among the rubble for 50 years. Listen, they'd become so accustomed to the rubble that they did not want anything better. We are people who have such a tendency to get comfortable with the way that things are. And we don't want to make any strides to change in order to make things better. Just let me stay exactly the way I am. There was a prevalent refrain among the people. And I want you to notice something here, ladies and gentlemen. We weren't talking about the Babylonians having this prevalent refrain. We weren't talking about the Egyptians having this prevalent refrain. We weren't talking about the Assyrians having this refrain. These were God's people. God's people had the continuous refrain of God, I've got to, I must put you on the back burner, but right now I have some things to do that come before you. Not only was there a prevalent refrain coming out of the people, but there was a prophetic rebuttal from Haggai. And basically he says two things. He says you need to consider what you are doing, and you need to consider... why certain things are happening to you. And he gives a long list of the things that they were doing and what was actually happening to them. 
he basically says this. He says, uh, you have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You never drink enough to satisfy your thirst. You clothe yourselves, but you still are freezing to death. You're earning wages only to put your wages in a pocket with a hole in it so that you're losing it. You're wasting your time. Everything you're doing that you think is important is really a waste of your time because you're not devoting your energy to the most important thing that you need to be dealing with in your life. And that is your relationship with the Lord. You ever had, uh, guys, you ever had a pair of pants <clears throat> and you put your uh, change in one of the pockets only to find there's a hole in it? You ever had that happen to you? I always put my change if I have any change in my left pocket. I don't know why. I just do. I'm right-handed, but the change is in the left pocket. I think it's because I feel like if anybody robs me, they'll, they'll want to get something out of my right pocket, and I'll trick them. It'll be in my left. That's the reason. So my change is in my left pocket. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I had a pair of dress pants, and I went... I don't know, I went and bought something, was given some change, and I put the change, and I heard this jingle, jingle. And it wasn't Christmas, so it wasn't the Salvation Army guy standing out front. And I looked down, and all my change went all over the floor because I had a hole in my left pocket. Haggai says, instead of, he said, he said you, instead of placing a priority on God, instead of putting God first in your life, you're devoting all your energies to a lot of other good things, but those good things are not producing anything. It's as though you're taking your change, putting it in a pocket that has a hole in the bottom of it. You're losing everything. That's what you're doing. And bad things were happening to them, but they'd never stop to consider why these bad things were happening. Now, I'm not going to suggest that every time something bad happens to you or me, that it's because uh, we haven't put God first. In fact, there are times when, when you put God first in your life that troubles will come. You and I have, have both experienced a time in our lives when we put God first and we're really sold out for God. And the, and the result of that, at least part of the result, is that we, we suffer something as a result of putting God first. But for these people, they were suffering because they had not put God first. And so perhaps there are times when you and I will suffer adverse conditions in our lives. And it may be because we haven't put God first or we're not putting God on the front burner in our lives. And so Haggai says there are some things you need to consider. You need to consider what's happening in your life. And you need to consider why those things are happening. Could it be that some things are happening to you and me in our lives because we don't have God in the foremost place that he deserves in our lives? There's a prevalent refrain, later God. There's a prophetic rebuttal. You need to consider your ways, Haggai said. And then third and finally, there is a, a positive response. I heard the story about a, a deer hunter who took his preacher and his, his family physician deer hunting. Neither of the two had ever been deer hunting before. And so they camp out the night before and they get up really early before, before sun up and, 
And the guy takes his preacher and the family physician and shows them where a deer stand is. And, and uh, he, he's in a, he finds his own deer stand that's not too far from where theirs is. And he's told them, he's given them instructions. He said, now, when you get up in the deer stand, long about sunup, when, when you start seeing light, that's when the deer are normally moving. And if you see a, a, a buck, make sure it's a, a good-sized buck, at least, at least six, seven points, if not more. The more, the better. And when you see it, when you see it, all of us, all three of us, I want us to shoot at the same time at the deer. And so they went out, they got in the deer stands, long about sunup. Sure enough, there were some does that came grazing around and, and, and running through the woods. And not long after that, there came about an eight-point buck. All three of them got the deer in their sights. All three of them shot the deer. Immediately, the deer fell. And the guy who had brought the preacher and the doctor, he told me, he said, now you stay there, I'll go check out the deer and try to figure out which one of the three of us Shot that deer. And he went out and he examined the deer. And he looked at it really good. And he came back. And he said, well, I've looked at the deer. And it's pretty obvious to me that the preacher is the one who shot the deer. Because it went, went in one ear and out the other. <laughs> that wasn't what happened with Haggai. Haggai's words did not go in one ear and out the other. But rather... They heard what he said, and they listened to what he said. Verse 12 said this, says this, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Jozadak the priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then verse 13, when God sees that they respond positively to him, he in turn sends this little short message by way of Haggai to them. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. C.S. Lewis once said this, it's a great quote. He said this, he says, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. The only thing God cannot be for you and me is moderately important. Just halfway important. He either has to be totally important, front burner, or nothing. And so I want to ask all of us as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord again this Christmas, where is He on your stovetop? Is He number one? Or is He on the back burner? Is the burner even on? God is saying to us, what are we waiting for about giving Him the top priority in our lives. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we...
we hear what Haggai said. It's uncomfortable what he has said. But Lord, I pray that we would be like the people of Judah, who when they heard his message, they responded by putting you first and building that temple. Lord, I pray for people in this congregation who've never invited you to be their Savior and Lord. That's where it starts. Lord, I pray for someone to walk this aisle here to the front and say, I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Lord, I pray that there will be people who are already saved, but they walk this aisle saying, I want to put Jesus first in my life. I've been saved, but I've kind of put him on a back burner and I need to put him first. Lord, I pray that there'd be people walk the aisle and say, I want to put Jesus first and I'm beginning it by joining this church family. Lord, I pray that you would be able to look down from heaven and see the response of your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.